I want Aboriginal people to really jump on the on the boat, I guess, in, in that sense, and start to look at what they can harvest in their in their um, countries, and and you know, sell the restaurants and tell their story. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia has some of the most extraordinary native ingredients on the planet. While the original holders of our land explored native ingredients for tens of thousands of years, acceptance of native ingredients has only been quite recent. There was a cultural cringe towards native ingredients spawned by a generation of chefs who tried to use these ingredients without understanding how they were used for thousands of years, which is to say in the 80s and 90s, no one knew what they were doing. But things have changed. Daniel Motlop is the co-owner of Something Wild, Native Co and Seven Seasons. Daniel, how are you going? Good, mate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. We've got a lot to explore. Um, you've had um, multiple amazing careers and at the moment very, very much devoted to native ingredients and um, across restaurants and for consumers. Um, but take us back to the early days when you were when you were a kid, what was food like for you growing up? Yeah, I suppose just the, the family gatherings and, um, you know, out hunting and, and eating on the fire, that sort of stuff was was a pretty big family occasion. Um, you know, Darwin is really Asian-influenced, I guess, um, the way we eat, um, the way we share our culture, I guess, too. So, um, yeah, always there was always rice on the table um, as part of that, probably every night. Um, whenever there was a roast, I even wanted rice, so... Rice was a big, big food in, in that sense, but then also you had, you know, the hunting side of the magpie goose, you know, going out getting turtle, um, you know, buffalo, um, fish, things like that. So pretty lucky to be brought up with that lifestyle um, along with the gathering side, I guess, of um, eating things that are plentiful within the Darwin region and Northern Territory on the trees. Um, you know, we always had tamarind. We always had... Uh, bush apples, kakadoo plums, things like that, that just grew naturally up there. So very lucky place to grow up in. Magpie goose is an extraordinary eating experience, but it's not available uh, to many in Australia. And you just listed some incredible uh, native ingredients as well. What, what's what's your memories of being young and, and um, seeing those being cooked and, and treated? Yeah, I suppose it, it was a big occasion, you know, waking up early in the morning, heading out bush and um, going to get some, some goose, I guess. And just the experience of sitting there and the smell of um, paper bark and, you know, the, the dew um, and then the birds just, you know, honking away in, in the swamp. Um, everyone's sort of sitting around waiting and, yeah, and then it sort of the sun comes up and the, the, the magpie goose lift and you've got about an hour of shooting when they they move out of the the swamp and you know it's it's it was pretty pretty entertaining up upbringing i guess um and then obviously the the cooking side of it um you know the process of of um plucking the goose and and doing the gutting all that sort of stuff and then putting it straight on a fire you know yeah, you just that the, up, the upbringing of the smell and and everything in in the air. I guess in that on the morning and in the afternoon. Something uh, wild has had an amazing influence on our understanding and use of native ingredients in Australia, and I want to dig deep into that shortly. But um, you you built an amazing career as an AFL footballer. 
Um, tell us about that period of time uh, in your life and, and what impact it had on you. Yeah, I think it, it just gave me a, a really good base to what I want to do um, in life. You know, I, you know, sometimes I wish I didn't do it and I got into, um, you know, the food side earlier in, in life. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience for where I am, am now. Um, and, as you know, I wouldn't say successful, but I feel like I've, I've become successful in, in what I do because of that footy career and moving away from home at a, a young age and, you know, dad putting me on a plane and saying, if you want to make something of yourself and then you have to go down and move down south and try to get drafted, which I was lucky enough to do after six months and in in living in Adelaide and got drafted over to North Melbourne and then Port Adelaide. So, yeah, pretty pretty lucky to um, do that. Um but yeah, it was it was a it was a battle to move away from home at the same time and leave, you know, that culture culture behind. Well, tell us about that period and and what it was like leaving that culture behind and immersing yourself in in that football world. What were the challenges that you had? Yeah, I suppose that a lot of the challenge was um, the stereotype. I guess when I moved because Darwin's so multicultural and. Um, you know, there, there, there's no racism. There's, everyone lives together, and it's a, it's a pretty different lifestyle, I guess, in that sense. Very respectful in everyone's culture. Um, you know, you had Greek people, you had Italians, you know, Asians, as I said before, um, and yeah, just very, very good upbringing uh, we had, and very lucky. And then moving down, down south, and being in a football environment that is, you know, very stereotypical, I guess, and um in in who i was and yeah just trying to overcome that i guess and and learn more about um myself and and you know the lifestyle down south you mentioned that you wish you got into the food industry earlier sometimes um but your influence has been incredible in 2016 you and your father and brothers um started something wild tell tell us about the early days and 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 why that why that was created yeah, I moved up to Darwin to, um, I suppose, over my whole footy career, everyone and all Darwin boys and Darwin families all talked about about selling magpie goose um, to restaurants. You know, we wondered why, how come no one no one ever tried to do it, I guess. Um, you know, what? it's obviously a good source of food and um, it could provide an income for, for communities, I guess, if, if Aboriginal people sold it. Um, and that was really the the driving force of it. Um, you know, I went back to Darwin and become the chief minister's advisor after a few different jobs, trying to work out my lifestyle and where I wanted to be after footy. And yeah, ended up starting a business. And Renee Redzepi and Jock Sumfrello, uh come up to Darwin, and I was just a, a harvester at that stage of wild native ingredients. And I showed them a few things around around the Northern Territory that they could use on on a pop-up in Sydney, um, or Renee's pop-up in um, Noma, and lucky enough to, you know, send a lot of stuff. And I suppose I, I felt as though, um, as a young Aboriginal harvester, I, I was getting ripped off, I think, in, in what I was doing, and the, and the time spent harvesting and getting magpie goose, trying to start that, um, that business was really hard. So I, we were selling into something wild at the time, which was a small business, and we thought, as a family, we thought, you know, let's let's buy something wild and actually, you know, do, do the whole way through, you know, from harvesting um, to plate, I guess, 
and selling out of a at a retail shop in the central market. So we actually did that, and I suppose it snowballed from there. Um, you know, the th- things like green ants. Um, you know, we started green ants um, harvesting green ants before anyone, and e- everyone sort of tries to do it now, I guess. And we've worked out ways how to how to really make that sustainable, and it's taken you know three or four years. So feel as though we've changed the game in in that sense um we are um a very as a business we we wild harvest a lot um which we find that that's the best flavors with the wild harvest stuff and the way we harvest it the quality of it um it's not just a matter of just cutting everything down it's it's very you know very traditional in the way we do things i guess um, during during this time, you've built a real really strong relationships with indigenous communities around Australia. And tell us about um, those connections and how vital they are with what you do. Yeah, I suppose it's it's more of a um, it's more of a friendship, I guess. And because I have been an Aboriginal harvester, and, and knowing how hard it is, um, our business works twice as hard to make people happy, I guess, in that sense, and and give back to community. Um, so at the end of the day, these people are our family too and people that when all this is gone, I'm still going to have to go back and, and live with. Um, so that's how we treat it um, as a family, as a family business and, and giving back to, to community. Um, you know, we, we try to leave a mark and a footprint in, in the community in a sense of, you know, we've, we've done a good thing and really try not to upset the, the, the food chain, I guess. Um, because, you know, these ingredients have been harvested for thousands of years by Aboriginal people and we think they should have the first go at the, the wild harvest stuff through Darwin and, um, you know, that's a big source of it, the way we conduct business. What's been some of the challenges in articulating uh, the unique properties and also the use of um, native ingredients over the last couple of years for you? Um, I think it's just getting getting people to use things they've never used before um, and how, you know, when it comes down frozen, people... People probably don't like it frozen. They want it fresh. Um, some of the best chefs just want the fresh stuff, which um, I think people are finding or chefs are finding it um, or are actually working better with native ingredients, knowing that they are wild harvest and they come from, you know, 10, 10 hours out of Darwin or, you know, they've got to get down to Adelaide and then out to back to Sydney and that sort of stuff. So um, from an Indigenous point of view, the hardest thing is, is getting – Indigenous people, you know, to set up a small business and and maintain it, and um, you know, really learn about business. Um, you know, early days it, it was all about you know you you pay cash to go out and because Aboriginal people didn't understand you know tax roll number or all that sort of stuff. So to to try to help with that side of things is 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 a big job as well. So um, you know, we like corporations to be set up and and buy from those Aboriginal corporations that really understand the business side of it um it makes it easier for something wild in that sense too native ingredients have really come to the fore in menus across the country um what's it been like you seeing the development of of that happening on menus and the use is it um has it been hard to articulate the best uses um or are you seeing some things really stand out and shine Uh, i think it's it's been hard to I suppose express the way that we use it. Um, we don't all the all the greens and that that we harvest. You know, they they're just used on a fire and pretty simple cooking. Um, but I've, I've found that the chefs have really 
you know, heroed, heroed the native ingredients with, you know, in an oil or, you know, in a sauce. And, and it's just things that Aboriginal people haven't, haven't done in that sense because it's obviously with the restaurants um, have great kitchens and everything. And most of the stuff that we collect um, is our bush and, and we only want to eat it seasonally. Um, and we only want to eat it when we when we catch it live. Um, so it's it's been hard when a chef when I'm selling something that you know a chef goes, oh, how would you use it um, in a dish? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, to tell you the truth, I don't really know how to use it in a dish um, because this is how we use it. So um, and then I suppose all of a sudden, you know, if you don't have the answer for a chef, I, I suppose they don't want to use it. So um, I think when the chefs hero the ingredient and make it theirs it, it yeah it makes it a lot easier for for us to harvest it and, and sell it you're very passionate about promoting ethical sustainable uh, and permitted use of native ingredients can you can you tell us a bit about that and and the permitted use yeah i suppose we um as a business that we've got a, we've got a few arms to our business where we wild harvest um and that's all under permit from sa government nt government and the places that we um, harvest in the, in the different areas. We also encourage um, Aboriginal corporations to get a permit as well through through government to to harvest to sell to us. Um, and obviously, traditional owners that um, they obviously care for country in that sense um, as well. On top of that, so the permitted use is not very important in, in what we're doing. Um, obviously, for sustainability as well, and then. I've also set up a, a farm um, called the Native Co um, at, a, at a cuddler where we actually grow native ingredients because some chefs actually want, um, you know, the HACCP certified um, Kakala, Samphire, Sea Blight, Ice Plant and those sort of things as well. So, um, and the quality is, is amazing um, in a controlled environment. Tell us a bit about more, a um, bit more about that that farm and what you're creating, cre- uh, developing and growing there. Yeah, it's it's mainly things that are already commercial um, in Australia, and uh, uh, people have already done it. Things like lemon myrtle and that. Um, the things that I really stay away from is the traditional things that are, are valued in the Northern Territory um, and are very cultural in in that sense. Um, I'd never, you know, farm something like the bush apple. I'd rejuvenate an area. Um, which we've got a bit of land in down where we rejuvenate the area with kakadu plum trees, you know, bush apple trees. So not only are we out there, um, you know, harvesting, we're actually rejuvenating a lot of the area in that sense, you know, putting seeds back when we when we take the bush apple um, seed out, you know, we take it and put it back in the ground as well. So little things like that, um, you know, obviously if we start doing this over a long period of time, um, people are going to be out harvesting it and um, it's not going to be sustainable. So you have to sort of give back a bit as well. Um, So things like the green ants as well, we know how to rejuvenate the nest um, and not really not touch the, um, you know, the queen ants and the, and the black fly that, um, and the larvae that really help us the next season harvest again. Uh, You mentioned that native co you're growing. Some of the native ingredients are a little bit more common, but with the traditional um, highly valued native ingredients, say in the Northern Territory. Is there some ingredients that um, people may not know much about that you can you can tell us about that you would love to see come to the fore? Yeah, I suppose native native yams. Um, you know, to be able to harvest them, and we've obviously got a 
got a release coming out soon um, using the native native yam, um, which is very like there's there's three different types of yams, um, and we really had to make it sustainable to be able to make it commercial. Um, so we've you know we've attacked these two yams that are very prominent in the Northern Territory, and it also allows Aboriginal people to harvest these um, you know wild yams. Um, and things like the bush apple, you know, the the only reason the the bush apple um, gin was bought out was because we chefs didn't know how to use the bush apple. So I thought to make a commercial product out of it, um, to make the bush apple gin was, you know, going to be sustainable and and create jobs and obviously go back to people and say, you know, can we buy this from you every year? So um, it, it's not only from a taste point of view, but it is it's very commercial point of view in, in the sense of you know how can we make a something that's pretty prominent in the northern territory as a fruit um how can we put in a commercial product so that we can utilize it um so yeah that's that's probably the the, the main reason why we attack things that um people don't know about or people don't know how to use as well in, in alcohol because you can always with spirits you can always use these things um obviously for their beautiful taste and tartness uh, you mentioned Rene Redzepi and Jock's on Frillo. Uh, Jock is known for uh, his connection with native ingredients and using it on his menu, and Rene um, developed a menu for the Noma pop-up. But what's some of the chefs in Australia that that you admire and you've connected with, and, and can you tell us about some of the dishes they've created that um, that you've loved using native ingredients? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, the, the boys from, from the Bray um, – or Dan, Dan Hunter and and then also uh, Kavo up in Wollongong. Um, some of those those chefs that I've, I've eaten at those places, and it's it, you know you just to taste some of these things on a menu that you you've grown up eating um, is just amazing. Jackson Frollo's probably um, you know the best and has probably put it all on the map in that sense. Um, you know with the work that he does using native ingredients and. Um, you know, obviously talks about it a lot um, and has come over here and, and pretty much put on the map, I guess. So um, to be able to taste those in in ways that I never ever thought I'd taste them is just amazing. Um, you know, and then you've obviously got uh, Shannon Fleming over here in, in um, Adelaide that he, he worked at Arana as well for a while. And I've, I've been away with him a few times and some of the dishes that he has just blend it up I guess and just even our bush I took him um, uh, up to what air to meet the ladies up there where we buy the kakadu plum from and you know him cooking a goose on a fire was just even he says it was one of the best experiences he's ever had and probably the hardest that um, he's ever had to try because he had you know three three ladies watching over him how he's cooking the goose and um, that was that was he always says that that you know that was the most intense moment of his life because he had to get it right. So um, yeah, the, the, I've worked with some amazing chefs and you know they really as 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 far as they're so hard to work with, they're they're also awesome. You know when when they're having fun and you know they're not in that day to day service mode. I guess <laughs> the the food media often talks about. Um native ingredients and how um, it's proliferated menus across the country. But how, how do you see where native ingredients are in Australia and, and what do you hope happens in the next decade or two? Um, yeah, look, I just probably just, um, I'm a big, I suppose I, I don't want 
it to be too commercial in the sense where, you know, we grow kakadu plums down south or bush apples down south. I, I really I really feel that that should stay in the Northern Territory and across Western Australia and where communities can actually be involved um, as much as possible. Um, you know, there, there is a... Um, there's obviously talks about, uh, you know, a database and stuff for native ingredients and um, we really don't want to get that lost and, you know, Aboriginal people's knowledge on on the ingredient, not only just the taste and everything, but how they harvest it traditionally. So we just really need to be careful with how we how we tread with with, with that, I guess. Um, but, you know, once again, um, to actually start a database like that is, is awesome um, and it really gives, you know, uh, it's a lot of a lot of passion put into it, um, and a lot of um, knowledge as well. So, yeah, we I want Aboriginal people to really jump on the on the boat, I guess, in, in that sense, and start to look at what they can harvest in their in their um, countries, and and you know sell the restaurants and tell their story. You briefly mentioned the bush apple and the gin that you've created. Uh, tell us all about that project and and how it began. Yeah, I suppose I've always wanted to use the bush apple um, um, as a commercial product, and you know the the tartness of it suited suited you know gin, and basically the colour. You know, I really wanted to represent the colour in 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 the bottle as well. So yeah, we we had three tons sitting in our our freezer that we couldn't sell to chefs because chefs didn't know how to use it, and we bought those all those uh, bush apples from Maningrida. Um, which is Barawanga Aboriginal Corporation. And we were lucky enough to come up with a product that tastes good, that um, the label's amazing. Um, and then also, you know, the, the, the story behind it of where those bush apples come from um, is pretty amazing as well. So, yeah, to be able to, you know, install that um, in a commercial product and be able to buy bush apples every year because it's, you know, a beautiful tasting gin. Um, you know, we can, we, yeah, we can buy it every year. So it's a great story behind that as well. Can you tell us the story behind uh, the bush apples? Um, yeah, basically they're just they're just a they're a big red, um, probably the same size as an apple. Um, and you know, we call these things um, as Australians. I suppose we call it bush apple because you know it it it, it it's similar to an apple, but. Um, it obviously has a lot of Aboriginal different names across the Northern Territory. Um, and, you know, Aboriginal people have been harvesting for a long time. So, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, they're used in traditional um, medicine, um, obviously high in vitamin C and all these medicinal um, properties in it. Um, so, yeah, it's probably just a no-brainer to, to use it as this product and, and, and make it famous like we made the green ant famous as well. So... Yeah, the last year has been incredibly challenging for uh, everyone on the planet, and particularly the food industry as well. What, what sort of impact, uh, given the challenges that you already have communicating the value and use of native ingredients, what sort of impact has has the last year and a half had on what you do? Yeah, I suppose it, it, it an impact in people. It's probably it probably went backwards a bit. The um, the native foods. Um, in Australia, people stopped using, um, you know, higher end stuff in in that sense, and you know, really resorting back to your um, your 
normal European foods, I guess, or, you know, your lettuce or pumpkin. And obviously because people weren't buying enough and people weren't, you know, going to restaurants a lot. So people didn't really want to go out and buy, a, you know, a bush apple for $30 a kilo or um, ants for $700 a kilo and things like that. So um, people were actually just trying to save money and keep it simple. Um, but, you know, that now that we've sort of come out of it, we're finding more people want to shop local, more people want to buy Australian, um, more people want to buy that story um, and pay for that story in that sense. And, um, you know, as a small business in something wild, you know, we're in the Adelaide Central Markets, obviously, and the retail space was very, very quiet. And um, But when it, when we did come out of it, um, people were very supportive in in small business, which is amazing. And, yeah, Australia has obviously been, been awesome, and we're actually seeing it um, probably skyrocket again in, in native food. So we're as busy as ever now coming out of it. Um, you know, a lot more people are using it. There's a lot more... I suppose native food businesses opening up, um, so we're seeing a, a really big trend at the moment, um, and especially in in alcohol, everyone's trying to use native ingredients in alcohol, um, and yeah, it's it's obviously a very tough market to crack into, um, but you know our story that we have behind what we do is is very authentic, and um, everything we do is is really authentic, so that helps. Um, native ingredients, uh, uh, you know, have come to the fore. But um, what what do you hope happens with the messaging across the board? Because you you have what you do, but there's all um, different sorts of messaging across the country and um, different uh, indigenous communities as well. What's what's your hope as we move forward in regards to native ingredients? Um, I suppose just you know just supporting the right businesses. There's a lot of businesses out there that. Um, you know, one thing that I really, I, I, not that I don't like, but um, people that say that they buy from you, support you, buy a large amount of stuff off you um, and don't actually do it, um, that, that's, you know, they use your, your, your IP, your imagery, um, you know, photos to say, um, oh, we buy from Man and Greed or we buy from... Um, you know, Aboriginal community, community here, but they're really only buying, you know, one, two, three kilos, which really ain't sustainable or, um, you know, just using that messaging to sell their own product when it ain't real or authentic. Um, that's one thing that really scares me um, is people going into Aboriginal communities and saying that, you know, they're going to buy 10 tonne, you know, next year off them and they go out and harvest 10 tonne and they don't actually buy it all. Um, you know, I've been left with that problem a few times where people have gone into communities and um, they haven't actually bought um, what they said they were going to. So I've actually just taken off them and, and bought it off them just because they had it there. Um, so, yeah, it was that's probably probably the best example of what I don't want to happen. So we just have to tread, tread very carefully with how we go into communities and, and deal with Aboriginal people. Um, to buy stuff off them, you know, because I was I was an Aboriginal harvester as well, and um, you know I don't want to start a business, spend a lot of money on starting it up, and then you know only get you know a five kilo order from someone that you know 
wanted me to start a business, I guess. So if that makes sense. How is how is running this business in the last sort of five years and the connections that you've made? Um, how how has that changed you? Um, yeah, I suppose just it's the, just the way I work with people. Um, you know, something Wells ha, ha, has had its own um, ups and downs itself early on. Um, so to turn a, a kangaroo shop around into a tourism attraction slash, um, you know, native greens fresh in the shop. Um, every week, um, we've had to really change a lot of things. We've even got a bar there now um, to get people in to, to try the alcohol or the spirit and and try native ingredients, you know, master classes. So it, it's it's come a long way in what it was uh, as a just a small kangaroo meat shop. Um, you know, it's it's more of a tourism attraction, I guess now. Um, and even just the quality with how we harvest things is, is a lot different and what we've learned. You know, I've had to learn learn how to, um, what native ingredients are all over Australia and not, not only what I grew up on in Darwin. So to go to meetings early earlier on um, and, and tell a story of, of something wild and what it was, you know, I, I really didn't have an idea of what Kakala or Samphire was um, until, you know, I actually got out there and started doing a lot more of it. Um, if if you ask me anything about Darwin, I'll, that I can talk all day about it. Um, native ingredients up there, but I've really had to learn, um, you know, a lot about stuff down here. And even working with, with um, different people, I think early on with the native ingredient uh, world, people were, were doing it the wrong way. Um, and, you know, they're slowly being found out in that sense um, in the, in this industry. Well, for someone who's obtained so much knowledge on native foods across Australia, what, what's what's your currently your favourite native ingredient and, and how do you use it? Oh, look, probably um, green ants, to tell you the truth. Um, green ants has, has been huge for our business um, from the start, um, you know, as a, as a little idea. You know, putting green ants in in gin was just an amazing idea, I guess, in that sense, and and making it more commercial. Um, so yeah, the the flow on effect of you know money going into the community, um, then something wild, and then obviously into a, a spirits company. Um, that obviously the the spirits company, you know, now gives back a royalty back into a community fund into Darwin to help Aboriginal people set up businesses. So we set that up with um, Mighty Craft, you know, the last couple of months where, you know, that, that community fund helps um, get people started in business. Um, and, you know, whether they need equipment, whether they need a freezer, things like that, that, you know, you really do need up in Darwin where it is hot, um, obviously, for supply. Well, Daniel, congratulations on the gin and, of course, everything that you do in regards to native ingredients um, in Australia. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'd love to catch up with you again soon. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me and yeah, <laughs> hope I um, done Native Ingredients justice again today. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Take care and we'll talk soon. Thanks, mate. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. 
Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.